Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another session here on our Business Integrity School podcast. Uh, we are fortunate to have with us today, Walt Pavlo. He hi. is, hi, glad to have you here today, Walt. Thanks, Cindy. Great to be here. Walt is a nationally recognized expert on white collar crime and the federal criminal justice system. He is a popular contributor to Forbes, where he writes on white collar crime issues. And his work has earned him appearances on American Greed and in documentary films, including White Collar Convicts, Life on the Inside, and Dishonesty. Walt co-authored a popular book, Stolen Without a Gun, based on his experience as a senior manager in a large telecommunications company. Some of you will know the name MCI uh, from back in the day, where he was at the center of a, of a large accounting fraud there. Walt pled guilty to wire fraud and money laundering and ended up serving two years in federal prison as a result of that. So he has some very interesting experiences uh, to be able to share. Right. Since then, Walt's made appearances for the FBI, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the big four accounting firms, top-ranked MBA schools, law schools, and major corporations across the country. In addition to his consulting work, Walt also operates Prisonology LLC as an expert testimony training and consulting firm on the Bureau of Prisons Policies and Procedures. Um, that's certainly been in the news a lot. Has, has been a lot in the news, yes. <laughs> yeah, with... Um, uh, Epstein and what happened there in, in New York. Pablo earned his BS in industrial engineering from West Virginia University and an MBA in finance from Mercer University. He's also a journalist law school fellow at Loyola Law School. So I think we've got a lot of interesting things to talk about here, Walt, and I really appreciate you spending the time with us today and sharing your, your story and views with our audience. Well, no, it's a pleasure to be here. I have a long history with the University of Arkansas. So I, um, many years ago, I, 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 I had uh, been fortunate enough to visit campus. So I'm looking forward to doing it again. That's great. Well, we're looking forward to having you again and sharing your story. And in this podcast series here, what we're really talking about is what is the future of business ethics? And what does that look like from the academics perspective? Um, and then what does that really look like from those who've lived it in the corporate world like you did at MCI and into the work sure. that you're now doing? What I want to talk with you about before we really get into the future of business ethics is just help the audience understand you a little bit better um, and the situation you found yourself in at MCI and, and what really happened there that set the stage for you landing in, in prison and what you're doing now. Sure. Um, well, it's a, uh, I, I, I guess the best way to start off is in my early career, I worked in the uh, aviation, defense aviation division, heavily audited. I worked for Goodyear Tire in their aerospace division, then wanted to work for GEC Limited, an English, a very large English company. Heavily audited, a lot of oversight. I was an engineer doing cost estimation. I mean, I was, in, you know, interfacing with audit agencies very tightly controlled. And then I, I got a job offer with MCI Telecommunications. 
telecommunications back then was the wild, wild west. I mean, we, we went from dialing telephones to now having, you know, your own 800 number to touch tone phones to, you know, gathering information in my yeah. job. Yeah, you always say when you say back then, just to back, give our audience a frame sure. of reference. It's we not really understand. that long ago, all right? <laughs> it I, wasn't that long ago, but it was in the, the 1990s. So okay. You know, early, early 1990s. And in the, you know, email was just coming about. The yeah. internet was just being built. Yeah. Um, people were learning a lot of different things. And the, and, and most people, if I were to say, and I worked in the resale division, companies who bought telecommunication services from MCI and then resold it under their own brand name. Okay. But if I were to, but if I were to ask anyone today, how many, how many internet telephone companies are there? Because most people have, you know, maybe Comcast is their internet and phone or AT&T or Fios, whatever it is. Right. Back in that day, there were thousands of companies, thousands of companies that were just starting up. And um, so my job was to collect money from these companies and then, you know, post it accurately on their account. And what we decided to do was focus on some of these smaller telecom companies. They were the most profitable for us. And, um, you know, without getting into the details that I would in, in a normal speech yeah. is that that a number of these companies just decided not to pay their bill and they owed MCI millions and millions of dollars. And um, I wasn't an accountant. I'm, a, I'm an MBA in finance with engineering, so I'm good at numbers, but I don't know exactly all the rules of accounting. I, I know enough of what's right and wrong, I can tell you that. But yeah. um, when these customers weren't paying us, it, it came to, to us as a dilemma. It, it shouldn't have been a dilemma. When do we write these off? When do we, you know, change what, you know, what we're going to do with the, um, uh, you know, with the write-offs? When would we, would we write it off? And the, the answer came back is that we wouldn't write it off. Um, that we would instead, I don't know, keep it on the books, massage it. And um, I, I, I joke now, it's not a funny matter, but I do joke a, a bit now that it, it, back then it wasn't called cooking the books. It was called helping Right. I mean, you know, can you help yeah. and make the numbers look like what they're supposed to? And, and basically, that's how I got in, in, yeah. in trouble. I and mean, that's one of the rationalizations, actually, that 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 happened when companies will say, will you, you know, people in a company can say to you, will you will you help? And so it's a, right. almost a, a rationalization that you're like, well, I'm helping the company, you know, and I was I was asked to do this. And. You know, it's one of those. Sure. And the numbers yeah. were large. I mean, that's we, we were, you know, as a we, you know, under my direction, yeah. hiding hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars. And, yeah. um, and then it, it, I didn't get hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, I got to keep my job. I got promoted. I got, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of good things happened to me, mm -hmm. but I wasn't necessarily, I was taking a significant amount of risk sure. on behalf of a a company or, or to keep my job or, or you know, whatever I was doing. And I see that a lot in other crimes that I cover, you know, it's yeah. people take a, a lot of risk for really a small amount of return. So how have you used that experience that you went through uh, now in a, in a positive way? Um, you know, you served some time in prison a couple sure. many years ago now, it was back in the early 2000s. Correct. Um, and so how have you used that experience in a positive way since then? I'm sure you well, had a lot of time to reflect. Yes, I, yeah. You know, I will tell you, there was a time when I thought that I would get out and I would go look for a job. <laughs> 
I, I haven't worked in a while. I've taken two years off reading books and doing things. And, you know, now I would like to, to get out there and, and, and find out what I can do. But uh-huh. finding a job is extremely difficult coming out of prison, um, particularly if you want to work in finance for business. Um, so that was a difficult lesson to learn. And then um, the, the FBI approached me about, you know, my crime and what I did and using it as a tool to help people learn. And I said, well, there's, there's really no other job opportunities out there right now. And um, they, they introduced me to a guy named Frank Abagnale, which people may know his name is from the movie Catch Me If You Can. He was Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Um, so, and Frank was teaching and he, you know, he told me what, you know, what he had done with his life. And, um, and I, I remember the, the, the conversation that I had with him. I said, hey, maybe I can come work for you, Frank. And he goes, hey, you know what? This, if you do it right, you're better off doing it by yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, see if this is really what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I went to the FBI Academy. I taught at several FBI training sessions around the country, U.S. attorneys. And then business schools were looking to talk about ethics and my story happened to fit in. Mm-hmm. So I, I, was, I was able to do that. And pretty much that's what I've been doing for the last 17 years. And then kind of parlayed that into writing about different subjects on white collar crime. So we'll come to the business schools in a minute, but I'm just, I'm so curious. I just have to ask you when you're at the FBI Academy teaching them or the, or the U S attorneys, are they, are they, asking you sort of how how did you how did you go about hiding this are you trying to train them on what some of the tricks are and red flags that they should be looking for sure i'm looking you know mostly talking to you know it's it's some i would say it's probably a third fbi agents and two-thirds support um you know cpa you know who support a lot of the forensic accounting you know was a booming thing you know i've seen it grow over the last 20 years um, but basically, what did you do? What did the, the, the auditors, what was your motivation? What was your rationale? Why did you do it? Why didn't you report this to somebody else? Mm-hmm. Why did you think that this was positive? You know, so there was, you know, there, you know, they were just, it's, it was a re- unique opportunity for them to look at me and say, look, we're not condemning you about what you did. You know, mm-hmm. we're not judging you. Just right. tell us what you did. Yeah. And I think that that was helpful for me too, for me to learn. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, and I'm sure that you had a lot to share in that yeah. regard, you know, after thinking about it for a while. So you mentioned business schools and that they had yeah. started teaching ethics and there was a, um, obviously a connection there. So about 25 years ago, there was an article in, in Harvard Business Review that talked about the way ethics was being, was being taught in business schools back then. And it was um, criticized uh, by the author, Andy Stark, for being too general and too philosophical and too theoretical. So when you were in business school, you got an MBA um, from Mercer. Did you, was there a discussion of ethics then? Uh, Did you take a class or was it woven into any of the other classes you took? Mm -hmm. No, we did. It wasn't, it was not, it was his own standalone easy class <laughs> and it was it was not considered exactly interest nor nor was it interesting i'm just you know i'm just my own experience that's nothing against mercer they had a great no, no, right. program yeah but i but the the ethics class was certainly you know we're going back 25 years now was certainly not something that i thought was challenging in fact cindy i will tell you that my paper that i did on ethics was willy wonka in the chocolate factory all right so that was my you know 
do I, uh, you know, do I, you know, do I hold out for the big prize at the end, or do you, know, or, or do I give in to my, you know, <laughs> to my weaknesses now on the, you know, on the chocolate trip? So, yeah. um, but but you know, I think you know back then we business ethics and, and the thought that we could even do something wrong was so foreign to us, and I think that's the way that they taught it is that you know there's, you know we hopefully know that you guys are going to be good students and just go out in the world and, you know, don't lie, cheat or steal. But I don't think that they gave us a good grounding as to the challenges that we would see, which I believe have become far more complex um, today in today's business environment than they ever were um, before. Yeah. So it sounds like that was too general to be applicable for you at the time that it was being taught in the way that it was. And that to your point, you needed more real life scenarios about, you know, situations that you could actually face and, right. and being aware of, of those and then thinking through how would you kind of deal with it in that situation? I think, I think one of the most important things that I brought to speaking um, out there about, uh, you know, about white collar crime, about my own crime, about others' crime, was that it, it put a face on the, the criminal activity. Sometimes you can read in a book and then you make up in your mind who it is, or there's an actor on television, you can do it. I think seeing the person who's actually did it, you were like, wow, that's not a, it's not a bad person, right? I mean, I would still right. like go out with them and, you know, have a beer or something. And uh -huh. they have a family and, you know, they're, they're right here and they, you know, they seem to be hurt by what they did. Uh -huh. I think those are important things for people to right. sort of humanize that. You exactly. Know, just, a just a regular guy. And just to think if it could happen to him, it could happen Correct. to me. So I, how did that happen to him? Because I want to make sure that I'm sort of guarding against that so it doesn't happen correct. to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how, yeah. Did I, how did I see the playing field? How did I rationalize my behavior? What, mm -hmm. was, what were the risks that I saw? You know, mm -hmm. Who did I talk to at night? Why did I choose this? Why didn't I confide in a friend? Why didn't I do this? You know, there's mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of different questions. And I just sort of tell them. And I, I do believe that, that what I've seen over the years are people that are genuinely can relate two stories, you know, yes. um, about, you know, what, you know, why do people do things that are wrong? I, yeah. I do believe that, that, you know, people relate to those stories. Not everyone's perfect. We all make mistakes, but you just don't know when you make that mistake, how far down a path it can go. Yeah, that's right. Well, actually nobody's perfect. Right. So, but right, the question right. is like, if you take a little step, you know, sure. does it start to become rationalized? Like what you said at the, you know, at the beginning, when we started here, it's not like you walked away with hundreds of millions of dollars from the company right. and you, you know, in your mind, it was sort of being rationalized as, well, I'm, I'm helping the company. And isn't that what Correct. we're supposed to do is help the company. And right. it's working through those rationalizations, actually giving voice to values and Mary Gentilis has a, a really great approach that we've, uh, we've been talking about recently about, you know, how do you, how do you work through, what are the common rationalizations and how do you prepare yourself with a more sure. or less a memory for those rationalizations that you may hear, you know, in the workplace. And then what are you going to say in response to it? So, yeah. Right. No, those are good, yeah. all good points. Yep. Yeah. So if there were three things that business schools, you know, could do differently to help prepare students, or as you've kind of reflected on it, if we would have done these three things differently in business school, maybe I would have paid a little more attention and thought differently about it. What, sure. what, what advice do you have uh, for the faculty and academic community about? Well, one, I want, I want to give you know, a lot of credit to universities for tackling this issue um, over the years. I mean, 
Is ethics a standalone class? Is it incorporated with all the curriculum? Um, they bring in speakers, they bring in, you know, all, I think those are all really good to give real life sort of, you know, these are real life challenges that are out there. So, I, you know, so on the first thing I would think the universities have done a very good job of telling students real life scenarios. These are real people. Um, I do think that they, they could find more, they could find better things. I worked at a big, large corporation, MCI, which became WorldCom. And I know that schools talk about Enron. They talk about some of these old large, there are, yeah. there's so many good learning lessons in frauds that aren't nearly that size. Right. Um, that, you know, small business people who rely on trusted employees and, you know, people that find themselves in real estate or working remotely and, you know, then cross the line. So I think there's a lot of good real life experiences and it takes sort of digging behind it. It does. Go look at the criminal thing. Try to talk to the attorney that was involved in the defense. Try to talk to the defendant. You know, there's a little bit more research because one of the bad things you're not going to get is a good article written about, you know, something in the, you know, about the, the case. It's a bad person. They did a bad thing and they're going away for a long time. Um, there's no lesson to be learned in that. We got to figure out like what happened? How did they see things? Or were they, were they just a really bad person? And that could be too. Um, the second thing was, um, you know, is, is to tell them, you know, where they can go for help. You know, this is one of the things that I think that universities, they can say that you're going to get in trouble and, you know, don't do this. And this is the way the person looks. But the, the question is, where is the solution? Where, so you're, you're there and your bosses are asking you to do this. Where do you go for help? Do you go to the police? Do you, I, I've known people, right. this is going to sound funny, but I know people who have been ripped off by an employee who called me and said, Walt, what do I do? Someone has taken hundreds of thousands of dollars from me. Do I go to the police? Do I go to the FBI? I mean, what do I do? So there's, a, there's yeah. some confusion as to really what do people do when bad things happen? You know, yeah. and, and where, do they, where do they go for help? Can they call a professor? You know, yeah. does Arkansas have a hotline? <laughs> Maybe they should. Yeah, you know, yeah. Call yeah. my office and I'll tell you what to do. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's, that's an important thing. And then the, the last thing I'll say is um, an observation that I just had over the years. No one understands the federal sentencing guidelines. Um, there's a point system in the federal government related to criminal activities of white collar felons, and they're stacked with certain points, and they can land people in prison for many years. And what I've found is that people are engaged, uh, you know, particularly students are very engaged on this point. Like, well, if I steal five million, how, how many years do I go to jail versus really? if I spend three? Uh -huh. Now, I don't take that as uh, like they're calculating, you know, what's the best amount for me to steal. Um, I see it as an eye opener to that they understand what the punishment could be, particularly if somebody asks them to do something that they're not comfortable with. Right. They can say, hey, look, you know what? I remember this class about federal sentencing guidelines right and i might be doing something from you where you guys are making a million bucks but i'm not and i know that i can get in trouble right and so i really don't want to be involved i think it gives a pushback yeah and well it gives them the facts right they're armed correct. with information correct so that they can help assess <laughs> what they're really being asked sure. to do right pushback right yeah, you yeah. Could, you could, you, there's a real consequence for that you know yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. so I think, I think it's, I, I think it's important. And I, I can tell you this to a person, Cindy, 
not one person that I know who's been a defendant, a defendant in a criminal case had ever heard of the federal sentencing guidelines before they were facing incarceration with them. Really? So, okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So, so if those three things had been in place when you were going through business school and sure. getting your MBA, do you think that would have helped you? I think it would have, I think it would have helped in some ways. It would have been a lesser excuses as far as the rationale has, you know, the, the rationalization. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, it, 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 it would, I can say this, it would be different than anything else that I had done before. Uh-huh. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It would have probably armed you with a little bit more information and you'd been able sure. to, you know, ask some additional questions and, you know, well, some, have... some things you, you don't, you, you don't even know though, but if you look at like Sarbanes-Oxley is a great example, right? There, you know, there's just, um, you, you can't have the same auditing firm as a consulting firm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That temptation has now been eliminated. Right. I mean, because you can't tell me that there wasn't some temptation earlier for the audit group to work with the consulting group. This is the same firm to drive fees and to work on the edges. So, you know, some things, it, it, it has helped, you know, so it means actually received a lot of criticism over the years and it's so expensive, but I would also argue that while well, a lot of the same big accounting frauds that were just happening every single day aren't happening anymore. Well, this has been a really interesting, fascinating conversation with you. I appreciate you sharing your experience with us, uh, sharing your time uh, and your thoughts on reflection and, and thoughts on what business schools can be doing better uh, and differently going forward. And we look forward to having you back on campus again in the future, whether it's awesome. in person or via Zoom. So uh, okay, we look good. forward to hearing from you I again. I hope it's in person. You know, I really, I want, to get, I want to get out. I want to get I out know. of the box. I know, <laughs> it's else. hard right now. Oh. Yeah. So speaking of it being hard in COVID, um, have there been any good books or movies or podcasts that you've either read or watched or listened to lately that just kind of for a release, but um, also have a good ethical dilemma attached to it? Well, I I will tell you this. I I think it's interesting for particularly for anybody interested in white collar crime. I just read The Vanishing Trial. Um, Robert Katzberg wrote, he's a great defense attorney. And I actually had a chance to talk to him about his book and I wrote about it on Forbes as well, but it just talks about the, the lack of trial experience and how the criminal justice system is operating right now, particularly as it relates to white collar. Is it 97, 98% of all cases, once a person is indicted, they're, they're, they plead guilty. Um, of the 3% to go to trial, 90% are convicted. So once, you know, once the hammer sort of draws on a person, that's involved in these 99% chance that they're, you know, they're, it's going to not end well for them. Wow. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's, that's an interesting book as far as podcasts. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's a really interesting statistic when you think about it, you know, the 3% that wow. makes it, it's more serious, you know, makes the subject matter. You better pay attention just a little bit more. Yeah. Um, the, as far as podcasts, I listened to Preet Bharara. Um, he was the former yes. U.S. attorney uh-huh. out of uh, Southern District of New York, uh-huh. um, and uh, he does a lot of things on white collar, you know, white collar crime, you know, prosecutions and and the criminal justice system. Um, sometimes he gets a little too political for me, but you know, I'm I'm interested in the in the. He has a very good perspective, and is you know, sure. obviously a very 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 bright guy. Sure. Um, 
Uh, is movies that I've watched? Yeah, recently? movies wrote, or, or, or video series or anything fun. I, I, got, I got two for you there. I thought about this. I just watched Social Dilemma, um, oh. which is very interesting about the use of Twitter, Facebook, and the algorithms that they use to drive us yes. to look at these phones all the time. Um, I thought that that's a very interesting documentary about an hour long. That's, that's interesting. And then the other thing, I, the, you know, the binge watch that I, I watched was a, uh, one on Netflix, Dead to Me, <sighs> which is Christina Applegate. It's phenomenal. It's I'm in the middle of that right now. Ethical, <laughs> dilemma, ethical, ethical dilemmas all over the place about, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I can't give it away, but it's No, don't craziest, give it away. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. You're just like, what would I do if they did that? Uh, it's, the, it's, it's so uncomfortable. But, you know, it, I think it gives you a view into, you know, how you think you would handle something and then yeah. just look and say, well, I can, you know, it's a little weird the way she did it, but yeah. it's yeah. very good, very good show. Very yeah. good show. Yeah. I'm being in the middle of it, I would have to agree. That's good. That's good. But we will end on that note. Thank you so much for your time, great. Walt. I really appreciate it. It's been great. a great All conversation. Right. Thank you, Cindy. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.